I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm here today with Marco Tempest, uh, the world's foremost cyber illusionist, and uh, we're actually here in his well, his marvelous workshop, uh, f- full of robots and devices, and uh, it's an extraordinary place, Marco. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for. Uh, I'm actually lost to describe it because uh, you know this, this is like a kind of a teenage boy's wonderland. Uh, when I walked in, you even had some amazing uh, body tracking glove on. It reminded me of my Nintendo Power Glove as a child. Yeah, it, it, for me, it feels like that. When I come to work, I come to play. <laughs> I think you've got the world's best job. Uh, well, it, it's very interesting, I think, when you, when you look at this convergence of magic and technology. Uh, well, what, what really led you, I guess, in, in bringing those two worlds together? So I've, I've always been fascinated with technology, and I think a very good thing in any type of art is to, to bring what is truly you, what you're truly passionate about, into your work. That kind of makes it worthwhile sharing with other people. And magic has a, a really long history of, uh, of using advanced technology to be ahead of the reality curve, to fool the audience by just knowing a little bit more about what's coming and what's ahead. So in my work, I use things like motion tracking, augmented reality, virtual reality, projection tracking and mapping, robotics, artificial intelligence to stay a little bit ahead of my audience when I tell my magical stories. What what do you understand magic to be? What what, what actually is magic? I think magic is... um, is to me, it's a, it's, it's a social contract somebody has with their audience. Right. So there is a person in front of an audience and he says, well, I'm going to be lying to you. I'm going to be cheating. I'm going to be deceiving you. Uh, but it's going to be okay. And I want you to enjoy it. And I think if that contract is in order and it's understood that it's just trickery, then it's, uh, then it's magic and worthwhile watching. What, what is it in, in ourselves as human beings that attracts us to this idea of being deceived? I think uh, when, when you're a little kid, everything is magical, right? Soap yeah. bubbles, uh, <laughs> rainbows, chewing gum. So that, that sense of wonder. The sense of wonder, yes. And so I think the, the job of a magician, the job description would be to like, re-enchant the people, to bring back this sense of wonder and, mm. and, and, and show us uh, a little bit of that magic which is still out there in the world. In a way, I guess when you're a kid, um, you pay attention to everything because everything's new. But as you get older, you lose that sense of novelty. Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely true. We get uh, disenchanted or disillusionized, or you could say, <laughs> if that is a word. And uh, I think uh, a, a good magician will be able to to share his magic with an audience in a way to uh, to to bring that wonder back and. Uh, and have their audience, his audience, experience this 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 kind of magical world which exists if you if you get away from the laws of nature <laughs> and how the world really works. I definitely understand this, this idea that a magician has always, you know, for the longest time, used technology as a way to trick the audience because it's things they haven't seen before. Uh, but part of what I think really fascinates me about the way you set up your uh, acts is that you don't use the most advanced technology necessarily you use things that have to some extent become accessible yeah i think uh, it, what i want in my in my magic is that uh, 
to what I want in my magic is to bring in technologies which are just about to emerge. Things we heard of like like drones or artificial intelligence or robotics or, or gaze tracking. How would it be if a computer knows what you're looking at? And then use these tools to create stories and to start a conversation. So in a way, I'm like an inventor, but I'm not limited by available technology. I can use available technology and augment it with a little bit of magic to tell my audiences stories about the near future mm. and start a conversation. And I think it would be great to have conversations about what would robots be like in just a few years from now. We all know that artificial intelligence is kind of a far-off dream that we're not going to have general-purpose robotics in our lives. But now we have robots which clean our floors pretty well. So what's what would be the next step? How much agency do we really need in robotics to make them interesting for a large consumer base or to invite them into our world? And so adding a little bit of magic to a kind of, you could say, dumb or specialized robot like, like a Roomba, can make a very magical story and a fantastic conversation starter. So you see a strong link between what you do and, and I guess, ourselves preparing ourselves for the future. I think so. I think uh, conversations about the future are are very interesting and necessary uh, because I think we all want to influence the trajectory of these future technologies a Mm -hmm. little bit. we're far away from times where the future was only developed in in, in large labs like Bell Labs or at MIT. Now with maker culture and 3D printers on desks and in garages and and, and recipes on Google for pretty much anything you want to build, we can actively join the conversation by making things, by telling stories, by creating videos. And so I'd like to see myself as part of that of that movement, you could say, yeah. of people who tinker with technology, amateur scientists, amateur inventors, which, uh, which uh, bring in their own point of view. Magicians have traditionally hidden the, the nature of their acts, and, and it's, it's a very secretive society, and yet uh, you've also embraced kind of ideas of open source uh, in the way that you deal with the community. So for me, that is very, very important. So, so as you said, traditionally, <laughs> magicians are, you know, keepers of secrets. If you want to collaborate with a magician, you better sign a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> up front and make sure that, you know, you're not going to be allowed to talk about anything. So in, in my work, I'm not so much interested in just fooling my audience or keeping my things secret. I'd like to collaborate with others, with software engineers, developers, designers, musicians, writers, a large group of people, and I like to make it possible for everybody which uh, joins and collaborates with me to, to share what they've been working on. So, so I think open source is a, is a very good um, counterculture hack to, uh, to an NDA. <laughs> you know, so, so everything we create, we can all share. And uh, if there's something really useful, then we try to share it to a larger group. So if there's a, a piece of my technology which might be useful to media students, to, to stores, to car manufacturers, to whatnot, uh, we'll put out a recipe or we put out a, the software to, to recreate it. And so, so I think that's, that's kind of a modern way, a modern way to, to communicate with your audience and also a modern way of being 
being a magician. It's not about giving away secrets, right. or it's 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 about uh, enabling people to to continue where you left off. But presumably, you wouldn't be as comfortable if it wasn't a media student, but another cyber illusionist who. <laughs> well, so of course that that, you know, <laughs> that happens quite often. I have to say, you know, there's a lot a lot of uh, of Marco Tempests out there doing right. kind of. So the idea is to give away the technology, but not the poetry. But of course, um, that's very hard to control. So uh, so I have to be kind of um, relaxed about that and kind of you know, accept, be accepting of, 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 of copycats. This thing of poetry, it's an interesting way of putting it. I think part of the problem now with the internet, you know, as a speaker, it used to be that you used to try to prevent people from videoing you. But actually now the more people that see your material, even though they may have see, they'll see it again, actually the more famous you get. Um, so in some sense, ubiquity uh, creates the scarcity. <laughs> I think so too, but I think ultimately uh, an audience um, craves authenticity, right. and they just feel if if you are truly passionate about what you're <laughs> presenting and what you're telling, if it's your truly your own story, or if it's just something you heard in another talk or so performed by another magician. So, so I think um, uh, creators have a kind of a, a little bit of you know. They're a little bit ahead of, of the copycats always because the audience, I imagine. Because they're just, more passionate about the, the source material. I think they're more passionate. It's more genuine. It, it feels right. It's not, it's not forced. In your stories that you tell, you often reference the past. And one of my favorite references you, when you were talking about Freddy, which is your version of the industrial ro- robot, is the link back to Victorian times when we, we first became obsessed with the automata. Yeah, so it's uh, one of my big heroes is uh, Charles Robert Houdin. It was like France's <laughs> greatest illusionist, you know, 19th century. Um, he was an amateur scientist. He he had magic. Uh, he used technology not only in his magic but in his personal life too. So he had like electronic gates, burglar alarms. He's credited in inventing the first electronic light bulb. He used robots, but he used robots which had trickery to make them work. So they right. were, as we say, flown by wire. There were people secretly backstage moving the robots. Um, another interesting me- uh, automaton we all know about is the, the Mechanical Turk, a chess-playing robot, which... Was actually a dwarf. Which, there was a little, <laughs> a little person inside a table who operated a, a mechanical puppet on top of the table. But uh, what's interesting to me is that it allowed their audiences to see visions of the future which now become reality. So you could say somebody like Jean-Robert Houdet in the Victorian age foreshadowed the advance of robotics and gave their audiences a glimpse into the future. And so I see myself as somebody in that tradition. I, I use existing technology, I augment it with magic and sandbox future technologies for my audience to experience. You know, I wonder even in, in areas like AI now, I mean, it, we've made so many advances, but it also feels that for us as human beings to feel like we've really reached the future, we have to kind of anthropomorphize machine intelligence as well. I mean, you can have the most sophisticated pattern recognition computer, but unless it can tell you a joke, we feel like it actually hasn't become intelligent. I think that's very true. And it's also, so on one side, we have this perception glitch where we see AIs in movies and they're just so much more advanced than Siri or Alexa right. will ever be in our lifetime, I would imagine. And distinctly more unfriendly, Joe. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, so there's a perception gap on one side. And then 
there's also kind of uh, now I lost my train of thought. So uh, <laughs> so the perception gap is one thing, and then also the the experience, the interactive experience, which I think magicians are very good at. Like right. so, there's this like uh, a classic example is, is is a card trick. A card trick is basically an interactive story which is perceived very differently from the spectator to the magician. The magician always knows exactly how it starts, how it ends. Mm. For the spectator, the story, it seems very, very interactive and very f- with a lot of freedom of choice. The card is chosen completely freely. He shuffled the deck himself. You know, was truly lost in the deck, but it always ends. The story always ends exactly the way the magician wanted it to. And this kind of engineering of interactive illusions or the, or the illusion of interactivity is something which magicians, I think, are very, very good at. And that's an essential part of everything interactive in our lives. You could say the whole world of interactive computing is an engineered illusion. Right. A video game can never give you complete freedom of choice. That would be too costly to create. So there has to always be a way to channel down a spectator or a user into a limited amount of options. And I think if magicians and technologists would start to liberally interface, we might be able to add a little bit of that magic, of that magic of creating interactive experiences which truly feel interactive and are not too costly to produce because the audience is guided in a way a magician would them or manipulated hmm. in a way a magician would them uh, would lead to very interesting results. And, and what really is the function of, of interaction uh, in a magician's story? Is it for people to feel like they've you know, bought into it, that they actually have free will? I think the illusion of free will is certainly something which takes place in a lot of magic routines. Mm. Um, it also it gives a little bit of ownership. If you were part of it, you're much more likely to uh, to remember that story or to retell the story or to uh, to have a to have a truly magical experience. That's why a lot of magicians will say that the internet or television is not the ideal medium for magic. It's always like a hundred times stronger if it happens in your hands yes. and if you were part of the interactive experience. And yet in some ways, th- thinking about what you've just said, there are elements of the internet experience where they've borrowed parts of the magic trick. I mean, when you look at Facebook, you feel like you can do anything on that, but actually it's a very constructed environment in which you've got a limited, a limited range of interactions. I think that the whole world of social media is, 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 is a giant magic trick. Is a giant <laughs> magic trick in that way that we feel so free and we're just so so channeled into exactly uh, you know a, a few limited options of what we can actually do, which create value for advertisers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think it's uh, if you think about the future of entertainment or the future of storytelling, I think interactivity will be will be a very very big theme and. We're not too far away from a time where, where reality and illusion will be very, very close together. With looking at technologies like Hololens or uh, something I mentioned, gaze tracking, or or mm. what Oculus is doing with virtual reality, I can foresee in a not too distant future where we will actively design the experiences around us wherever we are, where we will have a choice to live in the so-called real world or in an augmented world or in a completely synthetic world. And so looking into that 
near future, I think there's going to be lots of new ways to do magical things, to tell stories, and to interact with audiences. There, there, in some ways, virtual reality is closer to a truly interactive magic trick than it is a cinema. Uh, so it makes me think that the Steven Spielberg of virtual reality won't be Steven Spielberg. It'll be someone who's good at interaction or experience design. I think so too. And I, I also, one thing um, uh, which not many people know of is that uh, a lot of the early cinema was like pioneered by magicians. Really? It's like, yeah, so like Melier was kind of the magician of the early movies. He made things appear and disappear by just stopping and starting the camera. So a lot of the special effect techniques were pioneered by magicians. Um, I think that magicians could, if they want to, play, play a, uh, an interesting role in all these new and emerging technologies and ways to tell stories. When I look at some of the technology brands that have been the most successful in not just bringing products that people love, but changing behavior, um, they seem to incorporate elements of magical storytelling in the way that they demo things. I mean, Apple in some ways uh, have sort of mastered the kind of... Um, tech demo as a magical performance <laughs> yeah you could absolutely say that and I think that, uh, you could also say that a lot of technologies when they're seen before their time uh, feel like magic right. and then slowly they just become part of our everyday life and, and if a company manages to get this the right amount of magic into a, into a product and make it seamless and, and actually make it work and not just a you know not just a a hack or a prototype, then it will attract a very large audience. And I think the iPhone uh, was a very good example of that. You had this device which obviously came from the future. It did <laughs> things we never uh, imagined the technology would be able to do, like you could pinch and touch and zoom and swipe, and it felt so good and so great, and it still does. And uh, right now with 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 3D touch coming out, I think that's going to be the same thing. It's 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 a, a, a minor tweak, but it's a magical new item for us to to use. If a magician was in charge of designing an interface or an experience, how would they approach it differently to someone who traditionally might have been in that field? So magicians tend to um, to go into their archives, right? So there hmm. is a and that's. Uh, there's that's not so known uh, to the general public but magicians have been operating a private publishing industry for more than 200 years really there are tens of thousands of books and periodicals and letters where they minutely describe everything they ever came up with so there's this huge base of knowledge of how to create interactive experiences and how to enchant audiences which has never been liberally interfaced with other fields of research. So I think if you would bring in magicians into designing new experiences and creating magical interactive products, they would probably go into that you know, big library of things which have done in the past and kind of look through that and start taking these as hooks for new things. So, so, so in a way, these are not. This is not just descriptions of tricks. It's like a recipe for human cognition. You could say it's a recipe for human cognition, psychology, interaction. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so, I mean, because yeah, I often think that you know, we like a, a bank, for example, will look at how they use technology to improve the experience. But 
in some ways, they'd be better off hiring a magician to redesign the experience of banking. <laughs> I think magicians could play uh, a, a large part in many, many industries. And, uh, uh, but then again, you could say that bringing in outsiders outside of, uh, outside of, any, of any field is mm. always good. You know, to avoid groupthink, to have too many experts in a room is, is, is definitely a theme which helps. You know, a lot of companies bring in kids to add magic to their products, and I think that's a great idea. If you bring kids in and, and have them play with robots, they will come up with things engineers would never come up with themselves. Hmm. We were talking a bit about robots, and uh, do you see really robots and, and magic having a, a sort of a, a long association? Not just in the use of magic tricks, but in our desire to... I guess, bring something that's inanimate to life in, a, in our own image, almost like a golem. So, yeah, robots are definitely uh, something very, very magical. And also, if you go towards the East, they get more magical. If you travel to Japan, where people believe that yeah. everything has a soul, uh, people are, are addicted to anything which moves and the, has a the, face. The, the, and the, the, J- the Japanese, are, it's kind of like their anima, uh, their, their Shinto religion uh, applied to technology, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so... So I think robots will be will be a big theme. Uh, for me, I think the the biggest hurdle right now is this perception glitch of how robots look like in the movies and how they look like in well, real why life. Why are we so? It can't just be because of Terminator. I mean, there, there no. seems to be a, a kind of a deep seated fear of robots. I, I think so. On one side, there's the fear, and then on the other side, it's just this uh, that the robotic industry will have a hard time will have a hard time to um, deliver what we have been used to from watching movies. Right. So there have been so many robots in the movies which are so charming and so interactive. And, and, and robotics is a very, very difficult field. If you look at the DARPA Robotics Challenge, yeah. you, know, you see mostly very, very <laughs> slow-moving robots falling over once in a while, like million-dollar robots. And... If you watch them in the movies, they're agile, they bring you drinks, they help you out with everything. So, so I think um, seeing robots in real life is, is something very few people have, have had an experience to witness. So like, mm. I have a piece with a 600-pound robot in a stage performance where he interacts with me. And the, the robotic piece is exactly about that perception gap, how much intelligence or agency do you really need in a robot and how much can be pre-choreographed and can be kind of trickery to make it work for an audience to be acceptable and that's a super interesting field to kind of investigate and maybe the investigation of exactly that how magicians could add to robotics would possibly make robots appear in our life life a little sooner how, how when the audiences watch you do that um, performance uh, uh, with with Freddie, uh, how do they how do they perceive that robot? I mean, do, do they do they give it a sense of do they, after a while do they feel like it's actually intelligent? 
Uh, it it all depends right. on the level of expertise of the audience or uh, or you know, kind of how they're introduced because to it. you're playing with that perception to some extent yeah right? absolutely and so it's it's <laughs> kind of a back and forth between this is a machine which is playback plays back movement or this is a machine who has true perception it has yeah. it uses computer vision face recognition there's cameras in his wrists and in his so is the face. computer the magician and, yeah, and you're so, the assistant or vice versa right and so <laughs> it's so of course super interesting to to play with that so i had somebody at my at my studio the other day and um the robot was just doing kind of a, a general behavior where it moves the head left and right and kind of blinks its eyes like kind of, kind of a, a a still state and the robot happened to move his head just the moment that person uh, opened the can of coke and the person said oh he saw my coke i think he's thirsty right <laughs> because then coincidentally the head moved towards the direction of the coke in that moment right. and so so in a way you could say you know people believe what they want to believe kind of or they have a, a preconception a, a bias and they will stick with that either robots are dumb or they're smart and so and that's but it's also a form of that sympathetic fallacy you know if, the, <laughs> if you hear a thunderclap you assume the gods are angry exactly yes and so I think uh, it's a fantastic platform to play with these kind of things, to bring a robot on stage or to bring it into the audience and have audiences interact with the robot. And kid being close to the robot might say, hey, can this robot change from a boy to a girl? Or can he poop candy? Or, you know, so, <laughs> and, and, and adults will go, so how, how intelligent is he really, right? Kind of, did he record, can he differentiate between me and you and so these are all super interesting questions the question is do we really need this is this really something a robot needs to be able to do or you know are we fine if we can clean the floor and not bump into our walls too too hard <laughs> so. Uh, so what's in your toolbox next i mean which, which emerging technologies do you think have got potential for i guess challenging our perceptions and so I'm super interested in, in gaze tracking. Right. How would it be if we can move data all around effortlessly from one device to the other, which is literally a blink of the eye or not even a blink. There are companies right now which work on, on interaction ways to no longer blink or stare to select something on a screen. And how would that be if we had a world where where computers know what we're looking at and, and what our intent is by looking at something. So that's a technology which used to be very, very expensive and has come down in price and will come down in price in a way that it could be in anything, in any remote control, in mm. any cell phone, in any computer. You're seeing it in device. cameras now for focusing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you look whatever you look at; it will, it will focus, focus on that on, on on that thing. But how would it change our interactions with 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 data? Do you think? So I, that's a super interesting question, and I think the sooner we have this technology out with toolkits, which allow open source developers or magicians to tinker with it, the more uh, crowdsourced ideas we will have, and the yeah. less of a this is how it has to be done will be. So 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 I think. Case tracking is super interesting. Robotics is super interesting. What would be the next step between the floor cleaning robot and the super intelligent robot? There must be a few steps in between, <laughs> right? So, and so what will they be? What's the next killer app? I think Roomba is a killer app. Right. That's just amazing. And so what will be the next robot? Is it something we have in our wallet and we place on the table and it entertains us? You know, it unfolds itself the size of a credit card or will it be something which... Uh, um, what will it be, right? So, 
And then another technology which I'm super interested about is, of course, virtual reality and the next wave of augmented reality devices like Microsoft's HoloLens, which I think is the most magical device in in the last 10 years. This thing is just so incredibly magical. You wear something and it creates these hologram-like things in the real world, and it really works. It's the first time we see something. So with Oculus and HoloLens, it's the first time we see these kind of technologies we've heard about for 20, 30 years actually in action, and they really work. So this is going to be incredible opportunities for storytellers and for magicians. What I love about what you do is that if you look at the history of the alchemists, they used magic to, in a way, obstificate uh, the, the, the reality of ordinary science and chemistry. But you're using magic to bring some of these new technologies to life and make them, I guess, more understandable. I think that's, you know, you could say that's, that might be the magic of the future. You turn everything on its head. You know, the magician is actually revealing much more than he did in the past. And by that, uh, enchanting you in a completely different way. But, it, you know, it still works. So it's like all, all, all upside down. But, uh, but uh, wonderful experiences for, for a new audience and uh, a new type of, of interacting with audiences, like where where they can take part in what you do in a way like they never did before. Mark, it's been lots of fun talking to you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.